This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, September 2nd. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Matt Hoysh. In today's headlines, the National Park Service visits Telluride over development concerns. Barry Jenkins on Film Fest shorts. Grief and Mustangs in Desert Chrome. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, one week after going live on October 3rd, 1975, KOTO broadcast its first Telluride Town Council meeting and has continued to provide this valuable public service. If you want to continue to stay informed about local government, please support KOTO during our summer fun drive. Head to KOTO.org to donate, and thank you. Architect Stacy Lake has lived in Telluride for 11 years. His office, where we spoke, is above Main Street near Elks Park. Recently, he's been thinking about a neighborhood in the northeast of town's historic district. You walk down Pacific, let's say, let's say you're here and you're going to Bluegrass and you're walking down Pacific and you walk by Popcorn Alley, those little cribs. You walk by the Blue Crib and then wham, 75 feet of seven foot high brick wall with a three-story building on top of it all the way to the post office. I mean, that's a chain that the pedestrian experience on one of our most important streets is going to change. That's the block where the town's latest affordable housing project, known as the Voodoo Project, is going to be built. It's been on Lake's mind because he serves on the Historic and Architectural Review Commission Board. Lake says that Hark, as it's known, is tasked with making sure new buildings preserve Telluride's historic community feel. It's the business of the, of the Historic Architecture Review Commission to stick to the guidelines that we've been given. And the main purpose of that is to reduce or to sort of police mass and scale. The Voodoo Project really, really, really pushed that idea. Lake ultimately voted, along with the other three members of Hark, to approve the Voodoo Project. But he understands why many in town resisted the Voodoo development, as its scale dwarfs almost anything else in the historic district. This summer, Telluride residents concerned about the project contacted the National Park Service in Washington, D.C., warning of what they see as town's eroding historic character. It's my understanding from, from a number of those public comment letters that were submitted as part of that application that an individual or a group of individuals alerted Secretary of the Interior of the Park Service that they felt that the requirements of being a landmark district were being, like I said, eroded. The core of Telluride is designated as a National Historic Landmark District, which is a program run by the Park Service. In response to community concern, the Park Service sent representatives to Telluride in mid-August. While here, they met with town officials, including Telluride's preservation director, John Wenzel. Wenzel says that the purpose of the visit was largely to offer resources and support to the town. Their, the purpose of their visit really was to um, make a connection with town staff since they hadn't been here in a long time, and really to provide information about the landmark program and um, just let us know that they're there for technical assistance, um, educational opportunities, uh, that sort of thing. Again, they don't provide any regulatory oversight. 
Justin Henderson, one of the officials who visited Telluride, declined to be interviewed for this story, but offered a written statement. He wrote that in landmark districts, quote, the National Park Service may recommend to owners various preservation actions, but owners are not obligated to carry out these recommendations, unquote. He added that, quote, Telluride has a robust historic preservation planning program, as well as passionate stakeholders interested in the stewardship of their community, unquote. Wenzel says that the town government was encouraged by the Park Service visit. Park Service staff reminded us the historic district is not meant to be a museum. It's not meant to be static. That it, you know, we we live in a town that is growing and um, that uh, continues to face um, new uh, construction, and that that can be done sensitively and in a way that still um, maintains the historic character. And I think my sense from them was that we've done a pretty good job doing that. Lake was not directly involved in the visit, but he says that the Hark Board continues to struggle with balancing the town's housing crisis and its desire to preserve its historic character. Flipping through the regulations which Hark is charged with upholding, he pointed to numerous sections discouraging large developments and three-story buildings. If you really want to get down into this and read this, on an objective level, I don't know that the Voodoo Project should have been approved but we as a community need it. So everybody wrestled hard with this project. I'm not gonna read all this, but suffice it to say, making the case that the Voodoo Project is substantially compliant with these guidelines, just barely. The trade-off for the large development is an affordable place to live for a few more locals, as Telluride continues to grow and change little by little. While a pass grants access to the majority of events at the Telluride Film Festival, several programs are free and open to the public, including two blocks of short films curated by Academy Award-winning director Barry Jenkins. Jenkins stopped by KOTO Friday morning to discuss both short sets, starting with Calling Cards Red Band, a collection of films in which parental discretion is advised. There's a piece called Star Effers, I'll say, uh, for the radio that is uh, kind of about these young men taking back their power. Great performance. Um, there's also the screening is in the Opera House this afternoon, and there's a short, uh, an Italian short that takes place in a venue that looks and feels just like the Opera House. Now, again, it's Calling Card Red Band, so the short film is about uh, this very seedy movie theater uh, where these very lonely men go to... Uh, to share experiences, I'll say. And then the last film in that block uh, is an animated film, actually, called Bestia, I'll say. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award for uh, Best uh, Live Action uh, Animated Short Film. And uh, it's based on a true story, and that's kind of all I'll say. Uh, and then on Sunday, the regular Calling Cards block, there's one short in that block uh, that is a bit longer, so on the 30-minute side. But imagine a world where twins were the only people who were allowed to exist. And this is the short film. Wow. Yeah, but it's like Michel Gondry, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I mean, it's really, really great and wonderful. Uh, the opening piece in that block is made by a 22-year-old filmmaker. It's a piece called Nurture. And it's like if Edgar Allan Poe was making uh, a short film about his family. And that family was like a 40-year-old guy and his grandma and his great-grandma all cohabitating in this one really rundown. I mean, it's 
really, really cool stuff. And then there's some very gentle films um, in that block as well, and a really lovely piece of animation. So I'm really proud of them. And this year, I'm so glad that they're both in town. And again, as always, free and open to the public. Folks are going to be at this festival, and you have the opportunity to see some incredible feature films. So what's your pitch for why folks should take some time out of their day to watch collections of short films? Well, one, I think the short filmmakers aren't working under the same demands as the feature filmmakers. Usually they have no intention of, uh, of commerciality, of commercializing their pieces. So aesthetically, they can be a lot more aggressive, uh, a lot more adventurous, I'll, I'll say. The variation in what you get, you can go on a journey to, again, this alternate universe where only twins exist, that you can end up in this very seedy movie theater with these, with these men looking for some kind of connection. Then you can go to an animated piece about a very real moment in time in Chilean history. And every film I've just named, you can experience all those things in the span of 100 minutes, as opposed to spending three hours to experience just one of those worlds. Tell me a bit about your intention curating these shorts blocks. Do you go into this thinking, I want to create some kind of a total experience, or is it just, these are a bunch of individually amazing movies, let's throw them together? It's kind of a combination of both. You know, as I start watching the films, and it always happens, man, themes arise. I mean, there have been some years where, based on the temperature in the world, you just get this, this collection of shorts that are clearly reflecting it. Mm-hmm. I think part of that, too, is short films, the gestation process is much shorter than feature films, so those filmmakers are responding to, like, the right now. What are the themes that are emerging in in 2022 as you're watching these films? Uh, I think, one, people want to connect. People just want to really reach out and sort of break out of the restrictions of the last two years, whether those are physical, mental, or emotional. I see those themes kind of arising. And I've got to say, people are lonely, man. People are lonely. I can't have you in this recording booth without asking you, is there anything that you can say that folks can expect from Barry Jenkins the next year or two? Uh, No. Like, am I going to finish anything? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting a little bit older, and, and it's not about just me and my voice. So there's a film called After Sun uh, by a filmmaker named Charlotte Wells uh, that I'm a producer on. So not a writer, not a director, uh, but I'm so proud of it. And over the next year, next two years, I hope to have more works like that where it's not mine, but somehow through the access I've been given, I was able to help bring it into the world. That was director Barry Jenkins discussing the two short films programs he's curated for the 49th annual Telluride Film Festival. Calling Cards Red Band plays Friday at 5.15 p.m. in the Sheridan Opera House. The other short set, Calling Cards, screens Sunday at 4 p.m. in the Nugget Theater. Both are free and open to the public. Catherine Wilder has known her share of grief. When she was in graduate school, she lost custody of her kids. She's also struggled with drug addiction. Which is not why I lost them, but when I did lose custody of them, I I I hit a very ugly bottom. All that was about 30 years ago. But the emotions from that time resurfaced a little over 10 years ago, when a lifelong best friend died of an overdose, and shortly after, her stepfather and biological father also died. Her new grief was compounded by the earlier challenges. It just rocked me. I mean, I was a little bit surprised, but I think when, at least when I'm in grief, it's like I'm swimming in murky water. You know, I just couldn't, I didn't have clarity. I couldn't see well. Wilder felt lost. It was in the midst of all that, she says, when, in a moment of luck, she was driving around. And I happened to make some 
right turns that landed me on a road that and I was just driving along and there was a band of mustangs. Those mustangs were wild horses, part of the Spring Creek Basin Herd Management Area run by the Bureau of Land Management in Disappointment Valley, just north of Agnar. As soon as I saw those horses, it just gave me direction. It's very easy, Wilder says, to fall in love with watching that kind of wildness. You know, the way they move their body, their quickness, their litheness, and that's appealing and it's sort of charming, I mean, just to watch something in the wild. Eventually, she bought a property that shares a fence with the horses. So it's pretty remote and feels pretty wild, and I can look out sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I can see mustangs from the kitchen window or the bedroom window or step out onto the porch with the binoculars and I can see them. The mustangs, Wilder explains, are a model of perseverance and stamina. You know, how how to keep making it, how to make it through the heartbreak. They have heartbreak if a foal dies or an old stallion dies or, you know, a lead mare dies. I mean, they, they have heartbreak. They're sad and they keep going and they find ways. They manage to get enough feed. They find ways to stay safe, to protect each other. Wilder wrote about all this in her 2021 book, Desert Chrome, Water, a Woman, and Wild Horses in the West. The book won several awards, including the 2022 Colorado Book Award in Creative Nonfiction. Next week, she will discuss the book as part of the Authors Uncovered series, presented by the Wilkinson Public Library and Between the Covers Bookstore. One of the lessons Wilder hopes readers take from the book is that there is life after addiction. I'm 30 years clean. And I've done a lot of stuff and gone to different places and had, had you know, my life has been great. And it, I'm not haunted and, or tormented by addiction. Wilder admits sometimes she still struggles, briefly triggering moments come and go. But she's learning to move through her own life with the grace and perseverance she sees in the wild Mustangs that gave her direction all those years ago. Catherine Wilder will discuss her memoir, Desert Chrome, Water, a Woman, and Wild Horses in the West, at the Wilkinson Public Library on Wednesday, September 7th, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. She will also be joined by photographer T.J. Holmes, who has been documenting the Spring Creek Basin Mustangs for over a decade. More information about next week's Authors Uncovered talk is available at telluridelibrary.org. The Town of Telluride has a new way for residents to offer feedback and ideas to the local government. By registering for the new Engaged Telluride platform, people will be able to see featured projects, plans, and initiatives and interact with the town directly by asking questions, submitting ideas, and responding to surveys. Registration for the new platform is available at engagetelluride.org. We all know to lock our trash tight and keep our dogs close at dusk, but maybe it's time for a refresher on the best bear safety practices. Next Thursday at the Transfer Warehouse, Telluride Theater and the town of Telluride present Bear It. This annual production provides everything you need to know for bear safety in the 21st century. 
And it's free and open to all. Or adults over 21, we should say, as the show is not suitable for children. Come ready for an after party with dancing, music, and much carrying on. The show begins sep- the show begins September 9th at 7 p.m. The Grand Mesa Uncompagre in Gunnison National Forests is replacing outdated facilities at the Sunshine Campground outside Telluride and the Silver Jack Overlook outside Montrose. The GMUG plans to replace toilet facilities at both areas plus water lines at the Sunshine Campground. Construction began last month and is anticipated to continue through September. The final phase is anticipated to happen this spring. During construction, Porta Johns will be available at Sunshine Campground. No restroom facilities will be available at the Silverjack Overlook during construction. Colorado lawmakers are done editing the election guide the state will mail to more than 2 million voters later this month. As KOTO's Scott Franz reports, the so-called Blue Book attempts to explain complex ballot issues ranging from legalizing magic mushrooms to expanding alcohol delivery. Lawmakers tweaked several of the ballot write-ups. For example, they edited the section on legalizing psychedelic mushrooms to clarify that they are only a potential treatment for depression and anxiety. And Democrat Chris Kennedy of Lakewood tried to give voters another reason to vote against a measure allowing third parties to deliver alcohol from restaurants. Businesses may struggle in an environment where there's more competition from the big national online retailers. Lawmakers narrowly rejected his edit, with some fearing it would make the Blue Book biased toward opponents of the question. The Blue Book editing process has sparked lawsuits in the past. Groups have accused lawmakers of using their editing power to try and sway voters. I'm Scott Franz. Dr. Nikki Gonzalez's one-year term as Colorado State Historian just finished in August. She was the first Latino to hold that position. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Laura Palmazano spoke with Dr. Gonzalez about the role that Latinos have played in the labor movement in the region. So the Latino communities have shaped Colorado in really important ways with their labor. When you think about the contributions to the coal mining industry in southern Colorado and also Boulder County, you see that impact. You also see it in the agricultural fields of southern and central and northern Colorado in places like the potato fields in the San Luis Valley and the sugar beet fields in northern Weld County and Larimer counties. So through their physical labor, um, as well as places like meat packing houses outside of Denver and railroad work, so those really heavy industries that really shaped the landscape of Colorado, shaped the economy, and shaped race relations in Colorado as well, and labor relations, because there's a large number of Latinos who have served in labor organizing roles and notably in the meatpacking industry here in Denver, where my own grandfather was very a very active union member. So in those heavy industries, as well as opening businesses, whether they be restaurants or barbershops or print shops, you know, often the types of businesses where you don't need a lot of financing and you don't need a lot of education. And because 
in a society that often treated Latinos as second-class citizens or denied them access to education and to financing, those were industries that they were able to, to enter and be very successful in. As a historian, you study the past, but looking to the future, what are your hopes for this state? Ooh, that's a great question. So my hopes for Colorado, one would be to teach to teach a more full, a more a more true version of both U.S. history and Colorado history to our youth, beginning at a young age. I want people to be honest, you know, about the the good and the bad of the past, and to be able to reconcile some of that. I think there's a lot of promise um, when we're talking about like History Colorado, which is the state historical society. The work that is being done with the particularly the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes around the Sand Creek Massacre gives me hope. I mean, there has been about a decade of negotiation and dialogue between the state and the tribes about how to represent that history at the State Historical Museum. And that'll be opening in November of this year. And I'm so excited to see what the final product is. And so kind of collaborations like that give me hope. And that's that's what I hope for the future. And that the other thing I hope is that we will use our knowledge of the past to inform our decisions, whether they be education policies or housing policies or you know anything around civil rights, the use of our environmental resources, which you know a lot of wisdom sits in our past. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Gonzalez. Laura, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out. That was Dr. Nikki Gonzalez, a noted historian and professor of history and vice provost for diversity and inclusion at Regis University in Denver. She is also a member of History Colorado's State Historian Council. Gonzalez was appointed Colorado State Historian last year by Governor Jared Polis for a one-year term. She was the first Latino to hold that position. I'm Laura Palmisano. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50. Saturday should be mostly sunny with a chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon and a high of 70 degrees. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low of 50. Sunday should be sunny with a slight chance of afternoon showers. The high should be around 70 degrees with a low around 50 degrees, followed by a clear night. This has been the news for Friday, September 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to KOTO during our summer fun drive. A huge thank you to... Craig Hess. Mark and Lynn Philly. Annie and Tim Swan. Rick Kessenheimer. John and Karen Davis. Sanford Kreil. Sheila Wells. Grant Kennedy. Telluride Music Company. The Wine Mine. Valerie Slavin. The Society Turn Corporation. Anthony Cavanaugh. Sharon Green. Suzanne Ensor. Marty Prohaska. Kathy Green. Todd Brown. Patrick Fritz. Lori and David Land. John Foote, Kathleen Ream, Brady Casper, The Somers Family, Carl Hauser, James and Virginia Lucarelli, Sarah and David Holbrook, Andrew and Sarah Milder, Charles Diamond, Joey and Karen Zicker, Counterculture, Sarah and Morgan Lavender Smith, Mark Charles, Rick Gomez, Jackson Schneider, Ben Jackson, and Sarah Spencer. Thank you all so much.